0: Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to Reimagine Work, a podcast dedicated to questioning our modern conception of work and its role in our lives. I'm your host, Paul Millard, and I have conversations with philosophers, authors, creators, freelancers, and vagabonds who are trying to make sense of this question in their own lives. Join me while I try to navigate the emerging future of work. If you'd like to read more of my writing, explore this podcast, or find ways to work with me, you can go to think-boundless.com. Today, I'm talking with Chris Abdomasia. He's a former trader and writes a amazing newsletter and blog called Moon Tower Meta. He writes about his experiences working as a trader and how he looks at life and work through the lens of options, pricing, and valuing different things in life. I've been exchanging emails with him for a while, and we decided to have a conversation exploring some of the ideas we're both excited about. This conversation was a ton of fun for me. He pushed my thinking further and has really set me off uh, in a number of different directions, thinking differently about my path. I think you'll definitely enjoy this. Uh, let me know what you think and uh, enjoy the conversation. somebody entering the workplace now how would you be placing your financial bets in terms of like your energy and time and maybe you're thinking about this now as you've kind of tried to think about the next chapter of your path too
1: yeah oh um where would i start as a worker so here i'd actually prefer to uh, Let me step back i would actually go a little earlier than that um there is uh, a very influential um, interview that I listened to was this woman named Kathleen Mercury. She's an educator here in, in the U.S. Um, I believe she's in uh, the St. Louis area, and she teaches um, she teaches board game design to gifted and talented kids in uh, around the middle school level, and she was an educator for a long time before that. And then she kind of added this as an experiment. Let me try this out. And then she's become this person who has built like this amazing curriculum to teach this. And um, anyway, I, I point people to that interview with her because she talks a lot about the reason it, it has nothing to do with like the necessarily the importance of board game design. It's like, that's not the point. The point is that um, she thinks that it's very, very important to bring out sort of like the design thinking creative process in all of us. And the reason is expression and sort of asserting your creativity in the world is a way to own your life. Like it, it, that's, you know it's kind of we'll go back to the idea that it sounds like snowflakeism but it's i think there's a lot of truth in it it's, it's this idea that like you are the only, you are the best person at being you and if you have some control and control only comes from differentiation and differentiation comes from creativity and i think everybody my my own view um i have you know a 5 and an 8 year old uh, I tend to believe that, you know, my, my life tends to be surrounded by kids, kids that are sort of all around me I'm kind of involved with kids around here all the time. And I think all kids are, cre- I think you're just born creative. There's a, there's a thread of the school knock the creativity straight out of us. There's a kick. There's a kick the will to learn straight out of us. Does it beat us down? Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm biased on an anecdote of one. I feel like it very much did that to me. I, was very bored in school. um, And I saw it as just this tournament and it wasn't really about learning. And I think that re grabbing the idea that we are supposed to learn and learning is about creativity ultimately. Um, And amplifying that is the key to having control over our lives. So when you come out of school, I don't have a prescription for what you should do out of school, but you should do something that you are uniquely able to do. And, and I don't mean that. And again, I don't really mean that in the snowflake ways. But you don't want to let yourself be totally commoditized. You need to care about what you're good at, and you need to find a way to amplify that and express that in some way. Otherwise, you are slave.
0: Yeah, I th- I think that sums up a lot of how I'm thinking about it now. I think what I tried to do out of school was basically there's these stories we cling to around work. And it's really seductive to go try and fit into those stories. However, over time, you become that story and you kind of lose track of your own decision-making. And you're making decisions downstream of the story rather than like who you are. Um, whereas I find self-employment now, I have to wake up every day and be honest with myself. There's no employer or coworker to blame and I have to say, oh, I'm actually good at this. I should keep doing this or I'm enjoying this. I should try and keep getting better at this. Um, it's, uh, and I, I think, I mean, maybe you and I got lucky too, because the world is set up to reward highly analytical people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so in some ways, I don't know if I lost my creativity as much as I kept getting rewarded over and over and over again for being a good synthesizer and analytical thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, I started to think that was me. I'm like the the person that can make sense of complex information better than other people and do that incredibly well. Um,
1: Although I think that's, I mean, the analysis, yes, it's analytical, but... Um, I, that is very much a form of creativity. I mean, well, it's kind it, of funny. It, I think trading is one of the most creative things a person could probably do. It's super creative. Um, yeah, because you're searching
0: the edges for the new ideas, right? You're trying to expand the possibility of space. But exactly.
1: I mean, the, the the very idea of like, here's a computer in a room, go sit in it and make money come out of thin air <laughs> is, is a very creative Gosh. endeavor. Um, so I don't, I, I mean, to me, like, you know, creativity can come from this, you know, uh, a romantic place about arts, but it also it also comes out of analysis.
0: Well, I think I had a very my idea of creativity was like creativity inc, which is like formal roles blessed by gatekeepers. You had now have permission um, to be a creative individual, right? Yeah, and I think this has happened with work. Work has basically been. Destroyed is a word. We only think of work as something you can get paid for. We've yeah. taken this Japanese concept of ikigai and created our wishful thinking diagram, which like maps with like oh, what you can be paid for, and that's not what the topic was about at all. It was reason for being, <laughs> right? And one of the things I love doing is writing, and that's like I protect that now. That's my creative space, but I can't fund my life doing that right now, Um, right? but it's vital for keeping me going, Um, and it took me a long time to figure this out, but I think you're right around creativity. Being a parent is probably the most creative thing you could possibly do. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, well, it feels like you're operating in space. (laughs) I mean, it's like there's no... There's no, you know, like the guidelines or, you know, even like today. It's like my kids come home at 1:45, and I'm like, okay, what are we gonna do today? <laughs> Everything <laughs> like just totally open-ended question every single day.
0: Yeah, um, and so creativity is all around us. Just the creativity of navigating bureaucracy, uh, figuring out how to buy things online is. You have to be somewhat creative. And I think part of my journey was realizing, oh, moving around all this information and creating a slide and telling a story. Oh, I'm actually being really creative. Um, And I don't need to get permission to do that in other aspects
1: of my life. Well, Um, you can, I think that you can think about that as far as like, is it, if a job is a creative job would be, if there was 10 people in your role, how different all of those roles would look as versus like you're a, if you're a, uh, if you're working at McDonald's then 10 people are going to do the role, it's going to look the same. You know, they might make the people around them feel differently and all that, but ultimately the job that to be done will look the same at the end or very similar. Um, But any kind of job like you've had before, 10 people are all going to be vastly different outcomes and what they're creating. So that, that's a, that's a, you know, a a big hint that it's creative to start with.
0: Yeah. What, so what do you see like with other parents? I think I see a lot around kids, like parents is like, they love the story. The default path story of work is so, it has such a hold over our imaginations. And I see so often kind of an, an unwillingness to imagine outside of that and like just take that story and then make these very straightforward decisions. Like, my kid needs private school, the most important thing is grades. I need they need to achieve and succeed. Do you see that like with a lot of um, um, parents in the culture around you?
1: So, I, I would say that um, I'm gonna preface this by saying that I live in the Bay Area and which comes with its own culture i live in a <laughs> yeah. fairly well-to-do town in this culture it's 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 a uh, you know so this is like you know my sample is not enormous of what's going on but my sense is that all the parents are all the parents that i speak to care about you know is this is school kind of doing right by their kids as far as you know, no parent things you're supposed to be sitting there doing a bunch of memorization. Yeah. No parent thing. Like nobody, nobody believes this. There's nobody that thinks yeah. it. like, like yeah. that straw man is like, I don't even know anybody who thinks that. So it's a silly argument. You know, everybody is understands that you want your kids to be doing projects. You want them to be unleashing your creativity. I think everybody gets that. I think that, but the, the question is everybody understands this intellectually, but yeah. what do you do with that?
0: Yeah, I think that's such the hardest part. It's
1: the hardest part. And the reason, so I'll tell you what we, for example, like, you know, my eight-year-old, he goes to code school and he goes to, like, we host chess class for the neighborhood at my house. And like, we do all this, what, what I would just call enrichment, right? And I would say that's a fairly conventional way of attacking the problem is like, hey, let's expose our kids to like interesting things and see what happens from there. The more, I mean, you have the, the more crazy experiments that are out there where it's um, a buddy of mine just sent me an article and I forgot the name of the school, but it's the school where the schools where you go and it's a completely child directed. Like, and I'm not talking about Montessori. There's like one school in the country that still does this. And it's like, you just go there and you basically do whatever you want. And you know the outcomes for the kids that are go to these schools and granted i'm sure that, that that's hardly a random sample of people but yeah. the outcomes for the kids that go to the school are kind of they're like fine they seem like well adjusted and they're happy but it's not like they end up going necessarily they're gonna go make lots of money or whatever it is it's like hey the kid when he was nine years old was like very mechanically minded and became a mechanic and it's like that's and, it, and the question is, is like, what was that outcome like for the kid? Was this a good outcome? Is there a bad outcome? Did the parents think this is a good outcome or a bad outcome? I mean, to me, I'm like, this is a fish. That was a fish that lives in water. So if, are we going to judge whether the water is bad or whether the fit is right? I don't, you know, I don't know what we're going for here.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of this conversation gets wrapped up in numbers, right? It comes back to what we were originally talked about. It gets wrapped up in, like, incomes, uh, class, opportunities, ability to, like, make a good wage. Um, and I think what I've enjoyed about what you're writing about is you're basically saying, okay, yes, you should think of these things maybe as financial investments, uh, as options through life, but that you should also value options that can't be quantified. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Well, like so, so the funny thing is is like everything actually comes back to like everything comes back to accounting, right? It's like the problem is like money is like this super lossy um symbol for your happiness. You know, like on the one hand I'm like people that are like oh money doesn't buy you happiness. I'm like dude, I know what being broke is like and yeah that sucks. Like that, 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 um, that will buy you unhappiness that having no money will make you unhappy. So, but yes, of course there's a major declining, um, utility to, to, to making money. So the question is, is how do we, um, kind of separate these things? My big thing with this idea is, um, it's, a, which is something I haven't written about yet. It's kind of like an in-progress thing but is the idea, I don't know where I heard it, the concept, but it's it's basically miswanting. Miswanting. I think miswanting. So I think what's ha- what happens is um, our desires are so unconsciously derived from one another because we are born copiers. And I don't say that in a bad way. I mean, we're, yeah, we're literally built to copy.
0: It's a good survival uh, program.
1: Right. So we're right. So the, the, the copy program compiles automatically. And what happens is we, we, we don't know, we can't tell the difference between what we should, what we should copy and what we shouldn't, or, or sorry, I should say our default is to copy everything that we see or that gets glorified. Um, and we're not, super introspective about it until we sort of t- touch the stove. For example, um, if you ever, if you, if you have, if you ever have, for me, I know this for me, I don't like fancy things like to own things. Like I drive a beater car and all that stuff. Yeah. The reason is, is not because I have like, look, I'll go to a car show and I'll look at beautiful cars and I love it. I love looking at beautiful car, all that. The like thing that. is, is I know that if I ever bought a nice car, it would own me. I wouldn't want to park it anywhere because I would right. be afraid that it's perfection would be sullied by somebody, you know, bumping up against it or, or I would worry about the, am I treating this car right? Like, is this same thing I play the guitar. I wouldn't even buy like a super fancy guitar. And I'm kind of like, I don't even feel like I, I like, then I have to worry about it. <laughs> and I, to me, like those are things I don't want to spend my mind share on. Right. So I, but I didn't learn this until sort of like I, I owned a house at one point that was fairly high maintenance. And I learned that, um, I don't want some, I don't want fancy high maintenance shit. Yeah. But (laughs) so so
0: a lot of people, a lot of people Discover that, but don't have that awakening, right? They just shift their story. So, what is it like the is it your way of seeing the world, like thinking of things like very analytically and trade offs and at the margin that enabled you to then go, Oh, I'm going to backtrack this trade?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of it. A lot of it is sort of it's paying just paying a lot more attention how things make me feel you know um it's actually sort of not analytical um it's really trying to you know I kind of like those words that are getting that you get used a lot about like that person's energy that person's vibe like you know my wife uses we'll, we'll, we'll say things like that a lot and over time I've sort of started adopting that and because I, I think that sometimes I can't understand it, but I just lands. It just lands me in the right spot. So yeah. I don't. I don't. You know, I can't put my finger on it, but I don't like the. I don't like the feeling of this. And I also try to be super aware about not um, like the derived things. I, I I do try to be a little bit introspective about why do I want this? Um, why do I want you know what you, you know. Did this, uh, I, I think a lot of that also is is just, I don't know, as I've aged, I just realized how much barnacles of the things that I were told just like live in my brain and I'm just undoing it all and trying to be like, oh my God, I still probably up to a couple of years ago, I was still telling people that, you know, I like this or I like that. And I'm like, I haven't liked that in <laughs> so long.
0: I've had so, this, I've had the same experience I think for me living in Taiwan when I moved to Taiwan um, and now my wife is Taiwanese we met when I moved here we have such different automatic scripts that like I'm like pre-filtering stuff and being like wait do, do I actually think this is this my American programming because in a relationship you have to work these things out and agree on a direction so you need to figure out where they're coming from but when I first arrived here I became so aware of this American idea machine in my brain, just telling me what I should do, how I should feel. Oh, you're a lazy piece of crap because you're walking around in the middle of the week and you
1: haven't made money in a month. I'm like, where's that coming from? Right. You know, I'll get. I have a. I have a kind of a one. I have a. a, I feel like it's an interesting example because probably a lot of people feel this way, but or may have felt this way, but. Um. My I have a beast of a last name. It's this eleven-letter last name. My wife's maiden last name um, is H I N H, so it's four-letter last name. Simple Asian Vietnamese name, and I I felt strongly about her taking my last name, and she like yeah, that's that's not normal in uh, a lot of Asian cultures. To to yeah, I, well, I just. I just wanted her to do it because I was like, that's what you should do. And now yeah. I feel pretty awful about like <laughs> digging my heels in on that. Cause I'm like, man, that's it, you. She went from a four letter last name to like an 11 letter monstrosity. <laughs> name, right. So yeah. And, what,
0: what's the added time in her life? She's not going to spend writing her name.
1: That's right. You know how long it took me to finish scantron tests, it's the worst. Uh, <laughs> so I, it, it's one of those things that I, I feel bad about that. And the entire reason I wanted her to take it was just all this fucking programming that like, yeah. Oh, you're supposed to take the other person's last name. And, um, and I would have back then probably thought that it was crazy to not do that. And now one of my close friends named their daughter's last name, uh, named her daughter, their daughter's last name is a portmanteau of him and his wife's last names. And I'm like, that's, I think that a couple of years ago, probably well, more than a couple, probably like, 10 years ago, I would have thought that was absolutely insane. And today I'm like, oh, these are two people that like pretty much were not following anybody's script and decided that this was the thing that felt the most right to them.
0: Yeah. Well, um, well 500 years ago, people didn't have last names. People started, this is in the book seeing like a state people started getting last names because people needed to figure out who was who. So a lot of names like in England, for example, my last name is Millard, but it comes from like Miller uh, from England. Um, and more than likely my descendant was like John the Miller in the town. Right. <laughs> it was just like an identifying name. And every culture has these different things. Um, yeah, we got married in Taiwan, and no one has the other names, right? Because you, everyone keeps the 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 male name, right? So, like, um, my wife's mom has her side's name, and her dad has his side's name, but she has her dad's last name. Right. Um So. It was like nobody takes the other name. Like nobody even asked what we registered here. So it was like, yeah, of course she's going to keep her name. Right. Um, so it didn't even, yeah. It's, and, but to the U.S., it's like, oh, everyone was like, well, why didn't she take your name? Right. It's like, and well, her name isn't even in English letters. It's in Chinese characters, so you can't read it anyway. <laughs> right,
1: right. I, I think I think that the the whole um, like the, a lot of the stuff that you talk about with, or write about, what's interesting to me is that it. Um, what's great is that it's mo- it, it just dives beneath the surface and like we do things this way, but why? You know, it's just kind of like first principles in a way. Um, yeah,
0: and that, that's what I've tried to do. I I went through a similar thing. I. When I left my job, my income just disappeared. Um, So I got super freaked out about money, really financially insecure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had this scarcity mindset. So I basically just cut all costs like crazy and like obsessed over money. My biggest realization over the next year was that I didn't miss anything. And I valued time way more than I imagined. Like a free hour for me is... I think on average worth way more than most other people for me. Mm -hmm. And that's illegible to other people. Um, But then over time, what I realized is that there's an enormous psychological cost to obsessing over minimizing your spend. Um, And that's really what motivated me to try and like earn more money and be more pragmatic about um, making money.
1: You know, um, so what you said there is, the, the the thing about exploring or de- trying to discover these things, the, like it's kind of this unpacking of all that um, the treatise that is kind of stuck in our heads. It's it's actually just from you lived in a different way. Like you 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 ended up you had a good job and you went to having no money and you tried this and you tried that and actually you just try living a bunch of different ways you will very quickly narrow in on what matters to you and what doesn't. The the thing that happens is the people that are most likely to have all these preconceived notions, I feel like are the ones that are on a track and haven't actually been been that derailed. I mean, one of the things that's shocking to me, one of the, probably one of the most shocking things I've ever that I can ever um, that I see on a day-to-day basis is close-minded older people. It's it's we take it for we we just assume a lot of them that they will be close-minded. And I'm like, I don't even I don't understand how you could be close-minded. Like how did you get through your life not dealing with um horrible like, you know, just something that really really sucked or having a gay kid or having like like how did you get through your life and not get exposed to things that would make you super empathetic? So when I see a close-minded older person, it is literally shocking to me. But
0: it does seem more prevalent, though. Like, oh, I, it's the I know what you're talking door. about. I have these experiences. I sat around a table with some older people. They're talking about work. And they started talking about people getting screwed by work. Their buddy that got laid off a year before he got a pension – this guy that got fired and like within a six months, he had to like move and sell his home. Um, another person who like died immediately after retiring. And then they start like talking to me and I'm like, yeah, it's crazy, right? And then they were like attacking the straw man of what they thought I was stood for, which is like, nobody should work. Um, I think, I think there's two things happening. I think one, is that the story was so powerful and so convincing to them that they feel the need to protect it. And I still see this with young people too, Um, though there's more cracks and there's more evidence that there are other stories happening. Maybe Instagram has a a role in this. Mm -hmm. Um, But two, like there was actual real suffering. Being a woman in the workforce for a boomer sucked. You definitely got sexually harassed and um, dealt with discrimination. Being a man in the workforce as a boomer sucked. You couldn't actually share vulnerability. You couldn't um you couldn't be your full self at work. Um and you were expected by society to play this role um which isn't probably isn't the best uh single player role to be in. There's single mode role to be in. Um so I think there's just this like anger. It's like I had to go through this and And you should too. Um, and I almost think we need like this mass cultural ritual to like honor all the suffering people went through to work and be like, all right, let's, let's move past that. Right. Like the, my life is so good because of the broad economic prosperity that has occurred. And nobody wants to stop and acknowledge that like my life is possible. Like people are more, are more happy to like, let's just pretend things are still the same way they were 40 years ago. Right. And to me, it's like, oh my God, the possibilities are incredible now.
1: Yeah. Well, you're the, the, you know, you're also, you have your, your path has made you see that. Okay. You were, You have discovered that you don't need to be dissatisfied. So that's really, really empowering. Exactly.
0: And when I entered the workforce, I thought work had to suck, right? Maybe you had the same thing. I entered the workforce in '07, before the Googleification and meaningful work work, uh, idea around work. It was like kind of work's a necessary evil. You might find something you like doing, but like more or less, you got to work. Work kind of sucks. Put in your time and shut up about it. Mhm. Um yeah, and I discovered basically through creative experiments inside that. Oh my god, I can actually like what I do.
1: Right. It yeah, I mean, I was sort of lucky in the sense that I don't think that I I liked um, I mean, I was really scared the first week of my job to the point where I was almost like I may need to quit because I don't like coming out of college. After like a week, True. I was like, this is, this, yeah, I just felt like the whole thing felt incredibly. Did you go
0: right into trading?
1: Yeah, I went, I, you know, my first day on the job, I was on the floor of the American Stock Exchange. My like, <laughs> you know, like I took, you know, I, I remember it was like, you know, I, I can remember the my anxiety of starting a new job you know, the last day of the end of my summer um, after I graduated from college and I was going to start a full-time job the next day, like I can remember the night before I had a, I had a bit of an obnoxious piercing that I had to remove from my face. So it was like the, you, you know, it was, I just remember that night and I was like, I gotta, I gotta be, go be a, a, an adult now. Yeah. And that first week was pretty miserable, and I was physically uncomfortable. I was didn't know what the hell was going on around me. It was super intimidating. Um, I was just scared. and But conceptually, I loved the idea of what I was going to be doing. Like, to me, I was like, I'm going to go play a game for a living. So I thought it was the coolest idea. But um, And I was lucky in that I, I pretty much – always liked my job. I always liked what I did.
0: Well, it's kind of (laughs) self-employment. You have some skin in the game, right? If you have a lot of
1: Yeah. Your salary salary and bonus. I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, that kind of job. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't until eight years later that I actually was self-employed. Like prop, prop, prop type stuff. Yeah. I was a prop trader, but that didn't come until eight years later. You know, it was, it was a job. I mean, it had it had politics and it had... Um, so it's still pretty hard to get fired. It was hard to get fired. It would have been yeah. hard. Yes, it would have been hard to get fired.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's kind of what differentiates things, right? If you're a prop mm-hmm. trader and you're losing consistently, you're just going to be cut off, right? Right. Um, self-employment too. Like If you don't make money, you're done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean... It, and yeah. I mean, I've had a, I've had a, you know, I've had a full, my, la, my last, you know, there was, yeah, there was definitely times where I didn't make money and, you know, but, uh, and that was, I mean, that you know, with that, that, that could be stressed. That was, that was a little bit stressful, but, um, but overall I never really questioned what I was doing. It wasn't until very recently. Well, nobody um, asks
0: you. If you're self-employed like me, people ask me all the time, why are you doing this? Why don't you get a job? Why aren't you doing this? Why don't you have a house? Um when you're on when you're working in a job, nobody literally no one will ever ask you, why are you doing this? Right. And if you're making That's That's true. if if you're making good money, no one will ever ask why you're doing what you're doing. Right. So I have the same thing. No one ever asked me and I never thought about it until yeah. I until I started asking and I didn't have an answer at all. I didn't have right. like even the start of a good answer. And I think that curiosity is what kind of led me out of my path. So maybe this is a good way to talk about like pricing um, decisions. I think this is the fundamental thing people are missing is that They see what I'm doing in self-employment and they're mispricing the cost. But also there's a real cost. The cost of what I went through of like a year or two of just kind of like experimenting in life, dealing with financial scarcity, uh, that was really hard. Uh, That was costly financially and a lot of mental space um, that some people don't have. Um, But... I think they are dramatically underpricing the upsides of such experiments in their life, Um, and I don't know why. I think I know why that is because I never thought about it this way before. Um, But yeah, do you think that's somewhat accurate?
1: I think so. uh, I think it's extremely accurate, but I think that that it has to be caveated of course but I'll tell you why it's I think it's it's accurate if um, part of it is because of the selection bias in the first place of being the person like if you think you can if you're the kind of person that even has enough confidence to go and take the leap you're like not a random sample of the population at all
0: yeah you are okay. you are
1: somebody that believes in themselves. So
0: it wasn't even that. I think what did it for me is I went several months uh, without work while I was dealing with an illness for two years. And that like snapped my um, connection to like showing like needing to continuously work through my life. Right. So so it was more the fact that like uh, I did that before, I'll be okay again. I can go take. I honestly thought of my time off as like, I'm going to take a year off. I'm probably going to really struggle to make money. Like, I was t- totally not confident about what I was doing. Um, but you're right. I think probably deep down I knew. Okay, You were confident my, enough. Given my background, I know how to make money. I can find work. I'll figure it out. If not, I'll take a job at a bar.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so what I was going to say is, the reason, the reason they opt, I mean, what they're mispricing there is the fact that decisions are two-way doors, right? So you can. Um, but here's the thing: I just left. I mean, I, I just had to walk through all this in my head. Like, I just left um, a very high-paying job for, um, and it's a, and it's also a job with people that I worked with and known in some of these cases for 20 years. In other words, like if I went back to doing what I was doing, there is a good chance I would not even get close to what I was making before. And that's because I have all this goodwill built up with people who trust me. And if I were to just go somewhere else, um, I'm I'm not going to have that benefit of the doubt. You know, if I, if I were to have a tough year with the people that I work with now, it really wouldn't matter that much. They'd be like, it's a tough year. They get it. Nobody else can have patience for that. Even if I have a lot of experience. So um, in other words, my two way door is like, I probably can't ever go back to what I was doing before and make anywhere near what I was making, but could I not starve? Yeah. So it's like, if your worst case scenario is like, you go back and you make, here's the thing. One is like, If you're working that, if you're working a job and you feel dissatisfied enough that you think it's worth leaping, if you leap and you fail or you realize it's not, the grass isn't greener, whatever it is, and you go back, you will go back knowing that the grass isn't greener and that will make an enormous difference. Like right now, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a job right now. So it's kind of funny because I was telling my wife, I was like, man, if I, if I had a job getting paid anything, I would feel super rich because I'm like, wow, because I was just living without making any money at all. I would be so, um, you know, there would be this sense of gratitude as far as like getting paid something just because I know what it's like to not get paid anything. So, I think that one, it's like there's this two-way door thing that people sort of undervalued. It's like you can go back. You might not make what you were making before, but you can go back to doing something. That's so that that's one. Um, and I think the other thing is um, this idea that you might actually learn something about yourself. Um,
0: that, that's the like
1: you get space. Like space is people are undervaluing space.
0: Yeah. I I think that is incredibly valuable. (laughs) Um, we like life is filled with infinite distractions. And when you're working a full-time job, I think the thing people underestimate is going back to your energy comment, how much of their actual creative energy gets stolen from them, uh, such that they can't actually enter that introspection reflection space um and that's exactly what i experienced when i came to taiwan this was 2018 and my freelance work just dried up people were like remote work won't work we can't do that you need to be on site (laughs) so so i just didn't have any work but i had plenty of time and space um to think about what i was doing Mm -hmm. Uh, the money thing's interesting too I got offered 50 grand less than my last job for another full-time job. And they were selling me on, well, this is what you say you're really passionate about. Uh, We can get you back up to your former salary in five or six years, we think. And I was like, this is crazy. If I really care about what I claim to care about, I can just go do it on my own and work less. (laughs) Um, And the funny thing is I've in this is my 5th year i still have never made that amount yet with money i still have never made the 50 grand less amount right um annually and it doesn't matter like i've kind of like i've realized i can be very happy like my target is like 40 grand us per year and that's like a perfect life for me
1: <laughs> right well here's the thing you you also I found out first principles
0: a- by going to the bare bones and then building back.
1: <laughs> that, that's right, but also nobody nobody can. A, you always have the option to go take a higher paying job if you want. But the other thing is, the thing that you have is um, is uh, you, it can't be taken away from you. Yeah, like exactly. Like, I mean, basically, you have a you have a pile of equity in yourself that currently it's it's a small pile of equity but it has tons of optionality depending on how you, how you decide to, um, actually. All right. So this is, I'm going to, okay. Let's let's dive into optionality. No, no, no. I was going to say, let me throw this concept out. Okay. This is a little, it could be a little bit long winded because it's something that I'm tuning. Um, so, uh, do you know, uh, actually I'm, I'm giving, uh, I did a talk this summer for on deck about finance stuff. Right. I did this thing and I did this example. I, um, uh, I have this, this idea that you can, sometimes you see prices that don't make any sense. Right. And that happens all the time. People, everything today feels like it doesn't make any sense. Right. And of course uh, you know, a fool looks at a price that doesn't make any sense and says that's dumb. But Anybody that knows anything about how markets work says when they see a weird price, they recognize that what, what has happened is that um, there is information that they either lack, there's information that they are underweighting, um, but there is something going on that they do not see. They do not, basically don't see the whole picture. Um, and that, that weird price that they're seeing is a clue to them, that they should go find out more information. It should not be like a prompt to be to to say that's stupid. It's a prompt to learn. So my example of this, which I think is um, powerful, is comes from sort of a portfolio theory. And it the I, and and I'll I'll show you where I'm going with this. See, so if you have two stocks, like I have this example where I have um, you have a stock uh, that makes sunblock. I call it sun, and you have another stock called rain that makes umbrellas. And sun makes 10% in a year if the year is sunny, and it loses 2% if it's a rainy year. Rain makes 2% in a rainy year, but loses 2% in a sunny year, okay? So if you look at rain, it just looks like the rain stock is like, why would anybody want that stock? It's a coin flip. It loses 2% or or gains 2% depending on whether it's sunny or rainy and it's 50-50 to be sunny or rainy. Why would anybody want that stock? Nobody should want it. So if you look at rain in isolation, it looks idiotic to want it. But who wants it? Well, the Sun shareholder wants it because the Sun shareholder realizes, wait a minute. If I put half my money in sun and half my money in rain, the worst thing that can happen is I break even. And it's actually even more counterintuitive than that because if the sun shareholder put 70% of their money in rain, which is the coin flip stock, and 30% of their money in the good stock and sun, they actually make money every single year. Now, this is a very unintuitive idea. And the point of the idea is that You cannot look at anything in isolation because there is somebody smarter out there that can see the whole picture and sees how this thing, which looks stupid in isolation, actually fits in really well with a portfolio. The reason that's interesting is because the value of that weird thing that looks like, like, in other words, like the value of something in isolation is the floor of what it's worth, you could build your company and you know what your cash flows are and you know how Paul Miller does, but somebody else out there might look at what you do and be like, you know what? If I combine with what Paul does with what I do, the combination is better than, than the individual parts. And the thing is an employee gets no, does not get the advantage of that. The equity owner gets the advantage of that. You want to be the owner Of rain because there is always an option that that thing is worth more in a portfolio context than what you can actually see directly. And that idea to me is, and I like, I think everybody talks about the typical like, you'd rather own than, you know, you'd rather own than be an employee in general because of the optionality. But that part of the optionality. Think about the number of combinations. We are like exploding in combinations in the modern world. The more combinations there are that are possible, the more valuable that option is that your thing is worth more in a portfolio context.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I totally follow everything you're saying, but I think the part that's profound is the end, right? So if you, and you could probably map that to your own life, right? If, And I think this is kind of what's happening. I'm experiencing. I find my life so good that it's really hard to understand how. But if you applied it to that, I'm kind of taking this portfolio approach to my life of like all these different like meaning buckets and shifting it such that I'm earning these unexpectedly consistent positive returns.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that maps to kind of what you're saying, but I could also well, see it, it as like how you're thinking uh, about how you're thinking about
1: work as well. It, it, it does map, but the, it, it's a little bit different in the sense that you know a, 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 a more straightforward example of that would be um, a person who um, a person who's a pretty good writer. In some way, but on their own, if they were just trying to monetize yeah. their own blog, it's probably not going to pay. But there might be somebody else out there that says, "You know what? The way you write, matched with what we do, is a major sort of value added." Like I think about like one thing I've thought of is education in in options or finance. Right? I could go out there and I could probably make a course. Yeah, I sell the course and. You would make some amount of money. Um, I have. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I don't want to do it that relate to like the fact that I kind of don't care about should, like. Well, here's the thing. Like, well, the now person that that, buys, now the, that the you're the the self
0: help guru for uh, financial uh, newsletter <laughs> Twitter, um, you could just turn it into a uh, how to apply options to your life decision making.
1: Yeah, kind of I, there are people <laughs> out there. I mean I don't like to actually be I, I don't I don't love to like batter people with this sort of that like wonkiness about it but when I think about the this when I think about this problem of like just thinking about like what I could do and I was thinking like you know oh I could probably go make an options course but but then it's it will make some certain amount of money but where's the real payoff on if I create an options course and I was thinking who is the most valuable, What is the way, if I was cared about trying to make the most amount of money possible with the option knowledge in a course setting, it wouldn't be selling the course. It would be probably walking across, like across the street here to Robinhood and being like, yeah, let me build education for you. And that would be, um, you know, in other words, in the value of the education is the 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 person it pairs best with is the broker because the broker is the person who can monetize that in a real way. Monetizing education directly is like not a very good way to make money, but having education be the complement that is commoditized. So the broker can make more money is how the value of the education goes up.
0: I need need to put you on my personal board of advisors. (laughs) Well, I think, I think there's two things. I think you're perfectly right. And people don't think this way. And I think they don't think this way because a lot of, a lot of what I'm seeing is like solo creators like myself. And perhaps something you're undervaluing in your model of this is the absolutely thrilling experience of creating your own stuff. Um, so I wouldn't want to work with Robin Hood because well, no, that.
1: Well, I want to. I want to back up one second on that. I completely actually get what you're saying. Yeah, I was. I was saying that if 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 the if I was going to make a the only the main if I wanted to make a course and make the most amount of money off of making yeah, a right. course, that's the route. I mean, that was the caveat. But if I wanted to just do it for, it's kind of funny because I can make a course, and a lot of the things that I actually do on the education that where I'm trying to educate people is. I would want to keep it free just, just out of like my own principle. And if it was good enough that people wanted to pay for it because they thought it was actually going to help them trade. It's a weird market to me because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a guy that thinks that people should be like at home day trading. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm so jaded at this point that I feel like the going out and spending your time trying to throw darts at things. Um, is not a good use of anybody's human capital. And if that is the thing that you love, go work with a team that's actually a professional at doing this, that's what you should do.
0: So So, are you arguing that technical analysis has not magically um, (laughs) um, rehabbed itself for crypto? I see all these like technical analysis charts on crypto. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm a horrible
1: him. person to ask about that because I grew up, my trading background and everything absolutely poops on technical analysis to the point that if anybody saw you even, if you mentioned anything that was technical analysis related, you immediately got discredited. <laughs> so you were, and, and that. You know the bad part about that is it's it is super close-minded and um it's super closed-minded but it you know you have to make your choices of how you want to allocate your time I mean <laughs> I'm literally working for the best traders in the world yeah and if they think that this is a waste of my time like who am I to be like no I want to be open-minded about this
0: right if they were like you need to start learning about this you'd you invest a little energy in it yeah but yeah let's so let's return to that a little I and I think what I was getting to is maybe you're underpriced. So it sounds like you're not underpricing the like creative, thrilling side of like creating your own thing and owning that. But I do think, from my perspective, it's probably a blind spot of what you're proposing, which is that I I'm probably underestimating the potential of running my own thing and all the creations I have now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think I've got in. I'm trying to challenge myself on this over the next year. I think I've become too protective of my own um, stuff because of my past path. Like I'm so fearful of like creating another job for myself because yeah. of kind of the rut and stuckness I was in that I've like put up blinders when like obvious um, financial opportunities emerge. And like, I all the stuff I opt into like I totally want to work in and an extension of that is there are options available to you because of how you're psychologically wired that full time employees have a hard time seeing like I'm running an online course teaching people strategy consulting skills, which is basically how do you take information synthesize it, structure it and tell a persuasive story there are tons of knowledge workers that want to learn this at an extremely high level. However, the I love teaching this, and I love coaching people on this. I love making sense of it. I did it for free for years, and I got really good at it. Um, mm-hmm. However, if I just went and became a strategy consultant, I could make four times what I'm making now doing this.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um, so this is kind of a hidden opportunity for a lot of people with my background, because ninety-eight percent of people aren't going to do what I'm doing uh, because right. they rather just make the crazy salary from working
1: the full-time job. When the, and, that, and, and the fact and that's that is your opportunity. The fact that like you you have a lower cost of personal capital,
0: right? And but <laughs> over the But I also, I feel like I'm playing with house money a little bit, and maybe that's the wrong use of that phrase, but I think people's time horizon is totally off with how they're thinking about work now. Um, everyone thinks taking, uh, going from 250k to zero k the next year is like absolute failure. But what they really should be looking at is over 25 years, um, what are the like what are the things i want to earn in, and like basically take bets such that like maybe 17 years from now you make 10 million
1: dollars that's right so and well, i you, think that's you what i nail, nail this is exactly i feel very very strongly about what yeah. you said that right there and but, well
0: i i think this is what i've realized in the last year or two it's like i'm basically building all these capabilities of unlimited upside and stacking in these weird portfolios of the future and I'm investing in myself at the same time and like unleashing these creative things and becoming happier. It seems like too good to be true.
1: So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to, I'm going to tell you a financial, this is like kind of perfect. So the context of like what you actually uh, DM me about. I will give you the financial uh, analogy of what you just said. And it's, and it's probably one you haven't heard. So that idea about making um, you and you put it in context for me, you're making 250 K and then you make no money the next year, you're the year a failure. Okay. So that idea reminds me of the, of, of um, like an aphorism that I heard when I was at Susk. And that was, if you make money every day, you're leaving money on the table.
0: Mm, I love that. That okay
1: resonates. So let's let me and, and let me give you an example of of that in practice to make it sort of more concrete. When I was on the uh, so when I was on the floor, a lot of the t- you know I worked for a firm and I had a ton of capital behind me because I had all their capital, whatever. But there's a lot of people down there that are just trading their own money down on the floor, right? So they are going to take much less risk. They trade much smaller and and, and all that. So for them, it was important to make money sort of every day. For me, you know, it didn't matter. I was looking, I cared a lot more about my weekly or monthly P&L than I cared about my daily P&L. So what that meant was there were trades that I could do. And here's an example. It's this, it's let's say something is worth five bucks and I give you the chance it's the same thing as, Oh, sorry. You know what? I got a, even a better one. The bookie. Everybody thinks that a bookie's job is to balance order flow. Okay. So to, to get the line exactly where it is, and then just like sit on both sides of it and collect, collect the VIG. That's not that that's, that's not what they do. A bookie, a well-capitalized bookie wants the line to be wrong so that there's a lot of edge on one side. And if you actually like, so, so like if the, if the line on the 49ers was really, really wrong and the 49ers were just totally cheap, but they could, and they could put the line like that and not have anybody come in and try to buy the 49ers from them. They would prefer that because they would say, you know what? I want to amass a massive long position in the 49ers for this weekend if I could. And so maybe the 49ers, let's say if it was the the 49ers are worth uh, 50 cents on the dollar, rather than saying, I'm going to buy at 45 and sell at 55, they realize they can amass a giant position buying at 35. And if somebody came in, kind of like a small player came in and was like, I want to pay 45 for the 49ers. They'd be like, fine, I'll sell you a little bit at 45, knowing they were kind of making a bad trade because it was worth 50. But the point is the broken line allows them to amass a giant position. Now the position is much, much riskier yeah, because the 49ers could lose and they didn't, you know, whereas the first guy that makes the balanced market makes money no matter what, but the second guy makes way more money. But Sometimes he loses. Sometimes he loses. So the point was, these guys that were on the floor, they would often make a good trade, and then they would just not maximize how much money they could make by doing a bad trade right after. It's like I bought something for a bargain and I sold it a little bit higher. Whereas, like we would be like, I'm going to buy as much as I can at the bargain. And I'm just going to hold it until it re, until the whole market readjusts to the right price. And if that means I'm going to sweat a bunch of risk, so be it. But in the long run, I'm going to make way more money doing that than trying to balance the flow. So, in your analogy, it's I'm going to be okay not making any money next year because I'm thinking about the long run. I'm thinking about how do I make the most amount of money over my career, not How do I make sure I make money every day? And if you try to make money every day, you are not going to be... You cannot optimize for the long run.
0: Yeah, and I think this is where our stories distract us. Our stories are so powerful that we miss the fact for literally billions of people right now, the risk of ruin in the next couple of years is almost zero. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And we. that is... To me, I call it the inspiration deficit, which is basically if all these people would realize this, it's all this possibility and creativity unleashed. Um, and I don't want to sound utopian, but I mean, I see it everywhere. It, and people say, Oh, it's just an American thing. I walk around my wife's hometown, and every third car is a 70. $80,000 imported luxury vehicle right Wow because the the cost of housing for most of these people was low the cost of living is still low. what do you do with the excess cash? Mm-hmm. It, all I see in that and I've got my wife on board with this and we point at cars and we calculate the number of years we can travel around the world <laughs> <laughs> right, right it's like look at that one that's four years of travel. Right. And actually just, I, that's
1: a great that you should, and you should actually advertise that th- way of thinking a lot more because actually the, people are pretty crappy at that relative uh, relative value sort of thinking.
0: Well, a lot of people think that a, a week vacation costs $4,000. Therefore a year vacation costs 200,000. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, well, in these trade-offs are invisible unless you've actually experienced it firsthand, right? So the same kind of career thinking goes on here mm-hmm. um, in Taiwan and many other countries. I, the funny thing is I have these curiosity conversations every Wednesday, and the scripts are pretty much the same everywhere now. It's like work, full-time job, and save money for a house. There's just variations on that. Um, right. But people aren't seeing how much more options we have now.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that makes it hard, one of the things that does make it hard to um, really internalize a separate script is just, um, it's just hard to go, it's hard to do things on your own. Like if you think about like, yeah, I um, totally, you know, I've just kind of like written a post about like world schooling and stuff like that. But, you know, it's something that's on our mind. But it is definitely really hard. To, I mean, the problem is like it's come off of our mind because of COVID. But, um, but it's kind of a hard thing to do because it's so out there to do that. And I think that it would not feel so out there because once you start um, researching into it, you find the communities that do that. And then you, you realize, like, there's a playbook for all these things.
0: Well, you yeah. just solve problems as they emerge. Like bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I've, got, I've gotten bit by a dog. I've gotten a parasite. Um, <laughs> I was fatigued mysteriously for a month. Um, I've gotten a scooter stolen. <laughs> and so these bad things happen, but then you actually just react. Yeah. It's not that you can design around them.
1: <laughs> right. And it's not—it's not like not doing these things doesn't happen either. I mean, you have a house, and you know, one day your you know your roof cracks. It's like or your foundation. It's like there's there's actually I had the thought today that it was kind of it's like you know you know the birthday problem like you know yeah, fifty yeah, fifty yeah. that somebody's gonna okay like I had that you know the math behind that is like the end to the you know something to the end power is like one minus some some probability to the end. And I was thinking today, I'm like coming out of my driveway and I was thinking, it's amazing to me, given all the complexity around us, like you have a home and these people go to school and that person works there and like your life is just kind of complex. And I was like, it's amazing to me by birthday problem math, that you're not putting out a fire in one of these complexities every single day. I'm like every day that I don't put a fire out feels like a miracle to me because I'm like... How does that happen? I feel like the odds of a fire every single day should be close to 100 percent when (laughs) when there's so many things that can go wrong in a modern life.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's and well, I think this is the thing that blinds people is that in some ways, like I am not a critic. I might be a critic of the default path, but not in the way you'd think. I actually think the default path of like structuring your life around the full-time job is probably one of the greatest innovations we've ever discovered in the modern world. The ability to live a rather good life by only giving up 40 hours of your life per week is absolutely incredible. (laughs) And the fact that it operates so smoothly for so many people is... It's like it would blow people up, like blow people's minds two hundred years ago.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: Um, but the, my biggest argument is that this this blinds people from what they might actually um, want or enjoy more.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I think um, yeah, which it's is kind good. of a local
0: a local maximum on a larger cert right. circ- on a larger plane.
1: Yeah. One, what about what do you think about um, one, one thing that's kind of interesting to me is uh, the concept of sort of premature optimization. So, the the like I was pretty clueless in college. It changed majors a whole bunch, and college is this very expensive place, and um, it feels like in a way it feels like it's in the wrong order to me. Like I would want to go to college now. I think a yeah, lot of adults, yeah. I think a lot of adults feel that way. It's like they'd want to go to college when they're 40. <laughs> like, it, oh like I don't want I don't want to go take tests, but like I want to go learn stuff now. Imagine and,
0: how curious people would be instead of just getting drunk every week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, it would be totally. It would just be so it would be so interesting <laughs> now. But that that it feels like a weird thing to me because um, I would say the great thing about it is for me, the 100% the best reason, the best thing that came out of college was the fact that I I grew up in a pretty provincial place, which is central New Jersey, and I went to college and met people from all over the world. And to me, that is and always will be the the single most important thing about college is that it opened my eyes. I was so close-minded. When I went to college, I was so close-minded. I I think me too. And, um, college opened, opened me up a lot and that was a hundred percent. The value of it to me was, it was a chance to get the hell away from my upbringing. Um, but I do, I, I do find that there's so, it feels like there's so much at stake. You graduate from college, you go get a, you go get a job, you end up on a path and it's like a. Like trading worked out for me, but I always say it was a historical accident because while I did like it, I actually think the personality of the job was not really my personality. Like I think I was a much more optimistic person before I found trading and I'm kind of in the process of, I'm probably far along in that process now. It started a couple of years ago where I would I'm trying to knock a lot of the skepticism that it yes. builds for me like trading is like a very very skept you have to be I mean everybody's out to get you and, and it is you have to be a very skeptical kind of person and um you have to try to poke holes in everything and you have to ankle bite and you have to say actually that's not how that works like but I wasn't good enough to be able to separate that from how, from how life works.
0: I I think I experienced a very similar thing. Um, like I was good at consulting. I'm really good at the sense making analytical stuff, but there was this cynicism that grew in me and I just became so cynical about how organizations worked. Um, I became like the facts guy that like challenged everything intellectually um and really the past 5 years for me have just been like a softening back into like a lot of oh I was actually this optimistic like more go with the flow kind of person <laughs> when I was younger right um, yeah it's it's weird i think um i desperately tried to break into consulting um even though people told me I couldn't, I went to the wrong schools um, and I broke in. I landed at McKinsey as a research analyst when I was 23. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you're in that game, it'd be stupid not to try and like <laughs> succeed on that path.
1: Yeah. Um, like my golden, par- it was a golden ticket, golden ticket.
0: Yeah. And like my parents didn't go to college um, and, and, like, I then my boss is like, Oh, I went to this program at MIT. If you thought about grad school, you could probably easily get in. And I'm like, What? All right, all right let's go, let's go do that. <laughs> then I'm going to MIT. Then I'm like bouncing around all these other consulting firms. And then in my last job, I was like fighting with my boss because I want to get paid more, although I'm getting paid more than I ever imagined making. And that was the awakening for me. I was being miserable because like I thought it was underpaid and I thought everyone in my my
1: so resonant
0: office was like ah they're jerks their systems rigged I haven't made half of what I made there um in four years and I didn't want the money I just I just started playing a game that was that I was around like the game that was, was stupid um, and to other people, they're like, exactly how- the same. yeah, exactly how- the same. and that's probably why you, you are writing probably resonates for each other. But, um, other people see my life as like giving up that. And I just see it as like, Oh, I kind of did that. Like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like restarting over again. Right. Um, I'm at like year four or five of like a 25 year journey that I actually want to be on.
1: (laughs) How did you, how did you, um, so like right now it's kind of funny. Like today I was just speaking to one of the moms out on the soccer field today. And, um, you know, I met her last week and our kids have become friends and stuff. And I was just, I was chatting with her today. And then, you know, I get that question, like, so what do you do? I'm like, I don't do anything. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know how to answer. In the beginning, when he's first, I like I don't have an answer to the question. I'm like, literally, I don't do anything. I did finance for a while, and it's still like I've only, I only quit this year. So I was like, you know, I, I, you know, I left my job earlier this year. So it feels like it's not that of dramatic to say that. But I could also see myself like, like I don't know if I'm ever gonna be in a in a path where I'm gonna tell somebody that I do something that they're going to actually put in a proper box or put in a box or anything. I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I think society's moving in a direction in which this kind of path will not be as weird 10 years from now. Um, okay. Pragmatically, I still struggle with that question every time. Um, I take two approaches. One is a pragmatic one of just trying to give an answer and move on to other stuff. Yeah, um, And then some people are genuinely curious. And then I basically just tell a more drawn out story. Um, but for the pragmatic, um, typically if I'm dealing with somebody that's a bit older, I say, Oh, I'm a freelancer and I work with companies uh, and do consulting. And then they say, Oh, nice. How's business? Oh, business is good. Good. Yeah. And then they move on. Um, because when early on, I was, that question was so central to everything I was thinking about. And I would try to answer it honestly. And what I discovered is that article you shared, um, this morning, people get really angry at me. (laughs) When I'm like, oh, I'm just wandering and trying to explore, dabble in different work. And like, people would start digging and like, people would get mad at me or like argue against me. Thing. Is that, is like, that in every
1: is that in every geography?
0: No, um, and that's for different reasons, right? When I'm traveling in Taiwan, people are more curious about what white dude, you you look different than everyone else. Where are you from? And they're actually like genuinely curious about where I'm from. When I'm in Asia, like people more want to know like where are you from? what, what are you what are you involved with here? Um, people ask, like, oh, are you are a student here? Because a lot of people come here to study Chinese. Um, but, yeah, America is the strongest. Um, people are obsessed with work and money, and people hate to hear that, but, like, people are obsessed with it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a hard question to answer because um, you don't want to trigger the other person. I think Visa... Um, Coin this phrase it's like preemptive disarmament yeah so like what i try to do is preemptively make sure i'm not going to trigger the person i'm talking to so you
1: do that by sort of i mean an easy way to do that is to kind of like uh oh shucks i'm just you know I'm, I'm, i'm you know i can i can my thing is i would i just so we'd self-deprecate, like, uh, I'm, I'm in a lost place right now. And I also like I can also be like I'm having a midlife crisis. And every, and it's kind of like a funny thing to say that nobody really pushes on.
0: Yeah, I I try to avoid that. Um, OK, I find generally people don't actually like self-deprecating humor. Um,
1: okay.
0: I I have a very pragmatic response now. So I pair the two worlds. So I give, I say, I have a business, I run my own business doing things online, and then I pair it with things I'm interested to as if it's like an invitation, right? Like, I have my own business, I do a bunch of things online, um, I freelance, that's like that, so the person can then take the first part of that answer and say, oh, okay, I make makes sense, freelance consulting, okay. And then I say, yeah, I write online i build online courses um i host a podcast and those are kind of the cues to be like oh i heard about these online courses and then we can have a conversation the majority of people especially from the US don't want to have that conversation um and i don't want to trigger an existential crisis for anyone yeah <laughs> I, I want to t- i want to talk to people like you who like I'm just so curious about this stuff.
1: Yeah. And I, I would say like my, my, I feel like my experience of that. So I would challenge
0: you in, to play yeah. with it. I would A, B yeah. test different responses and see what kind of reactions you get. Um,
1: it, I feel you, like living here, it's like people are a lot more open to it. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Or, Cause like in the Bay area, it just feels like. Cause earnings are,
0: are probably so high. Right. And like, everyone kind of has solved their like basic um, security fund if they got laid off.
1: Yeah. But Um, yeah, I feel like out here it's a little, it's it's more forgiving in that way. But like, yeah, if I was in a, if I spent a lot of time in another place, I would, I feel like I would have a harder, and I spent a bunch of time like in Texas this summer. I feel like even there would be a harder question to answer. The Bay area is like, everyone's like, gets it if you're like some like hippie doing some random shit it's all good
0: yeah but, the, nor- the northeast is a little harder
1: yeah it's interesting At the uh in the beginning before you were earning money what did you say
0: <sighs> that was hard because <laughs> it was That's like what my i end- am now
1: I, mean, I don't earn any money
0: well my own insecurity was just dominating the question I, so my first nine months i made a bunch of money freelancing Um, so I mostly just said I was freelancing. Okay. Um, so, and then when I moved to Taiwan, basically for like a year straight, I made like Mm $10,000. Um, and that is when I started, I started really like, oh, I'm a full-time vagabond who, uh, (laughs) and like that that's when I discovered people get pissed at you um yeah. and they like they, you're
1: insulting your parents
0: yeah they then um <laughs> will take they'll then try to search for things to attack me like oh where'd you work oh you can do this be a lot of people say you can do this because you why right, right. um you can do this because you worked at mit it- I don't think there's any causality between my past work and what I'm doing now. I think there's probably um, correlation against certain skills and aptitudes and intelligence I have for sure. Um, But it is not because I worked a certain place I'm able to do. It actually makes it harder to do these things.
1: Right. I mean, they're also kind of keying off. I mean, they're also like they are picking up on the fact that it's like oh you got an you know you went to MIT like you have options in life
0: right uh, and and that is that is true but the people i talk to who are actually curious about taking different paths in their life aren't interested in those things the only people interested in those things are the people solidly on the default path
1: correct Because
0: I've talked to people of all different incomes, all financial status, and the reality is 90% of people I talk to who are making high incomes uh, think the amount of money I left with is absolutely insane. They think it's way too small. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. Like... The numbers people give me are insane to me. they're like, "Oh yeah, maybe if I had two million I'd consider stepping away and i'm like, "What
1: the heck right
0: I was like one year of cost of living, and i'm good
1: i think I think it's because so one of the one of the reasons for the, like one, I think one of the reasons people think that is – well you did
0: a survey on this, right
1: <laughs> Well, I did the survey on what people consider to be rich. But I think what I think what happened, I think it's really hard to, that when, because when people have to envision this question of like, I'm going to leave my work, it's because they don't imagine their life unchanged in all the other ways it would be unchanged. Like right. you wouldn't, you wouldn't have all these like giant bills that go along with your current life.
0: Well, I didn't imagine it either. This is the crazy thing. Looking back, I had no plan. I had no clients line up. I quit my job in New York City. It, it wow. only took me three weeks to realize I'm like, Oh my God, I need to do a budget. <laughs> so I like, uh, I had like mint.com set up for like looking at how like number goes up, but I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, I'm like exporting the data. I'm doing the math. I'm like, What am I doing in New York City? <laughs> right. Um, so I, Sublet my apartment, I stopped going out to eat. I didn't buy new stuff i didn't like I moved to Boston. I moved into a house with three other twenty somethings. We had one bathroom. I lowered my rent to eight hundred dollars a month i started you i started biking everywhere right, <laughs> and I lowered my cost by like three thousand dollars a month within right. like within four months of quitting my job, yeah but I totally get how that's invisible to people because I didn't I didn't plan anything. Right. I'm um, right. like I felt so stupid afterwards. And then like I moved to Asia and I cut to the bone even more. Like I was in Taipei, I was not going to nice restaurants. I was getting two dollar dumplings every day. Yep. And I have this moment I've written about where I was in this store, I was a crazy rainstorm. And I'm like, I finally need to buy like sandals. So I can walk around the rain. I'm walking around in Poya, um, the, the CVS of Taipei. And I'm. Uh, they're like, it's like 150 NT. It's $5. I'm like, uh, I shouldn't do it. Uh, I'm like doing laps. I go back to the sandals. Ultimately, I walk out and didn't get the sandals. I think that month my cost of living was like $950. Um, and I wasn't making money at the time. But I then realized that was when I was like, the cost of this is too much. Like, I I got to try and at least make money. Right. Right. Um, wow. But I was also incredibly happy at that time. I wasn't like obsessing over money all the time, but it was a cost. Yeah. <laughs> I was just reading books all the time. Go to the park. My 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 life was wonderful, and a lot of those like realizations and aha's like I've written about. And like a couple months later, when I had nothing to do, I bought a course in which I've now made over a hundred grand from, Um, or I built a course. Built Um, one right. But I only built that because like friends were asking me about it, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna build a course. There wasn't even the online creator economy yet, Um, right. And I didn't make any money from that for six months, um, but it's all these random things I just did <laughs> during this period which enabled me to survive over the long term.
1: I mean, listening to listening to that, it sounds that sounds very frightening.
0: It it was. I felt stupid. Um, that's the thing. Um, you can. Deep down, I knew I was on a path I needed to follow. But I'm also walking around the park reading that book and then having thoughts flow into my head like, you're an idiot, Paul. You're so stupid. Right. Your fr- your friends are making more than you. You're a failure. You have friends working at Amazon.com .com right now. Think about Like if you just took a job at Amazon, like how much you'd be making. And so you still have those thoughts and it's terrible, but it's also amazing at the same time. So Um, so
1: is there that actually, I was going to ask you right about that. So one, one thing is like, so right, right now, right now, um, because I have no idea what I'm going to do. There's this, um, restless, anxiety, energy, uncertainty, like there's a lot of just crap. And it's, it's not, and it's not stressful. It's just, it's there. It's like, I'm like, what the hell? And there's, you know, there's like opportunities that kind of come along where it's like, I could, you know, somebody will ask me like, would you have any interest in coming back and doing this or doing that? And it's like, there's a part of you that's like, you could, I could make all that go away, and just go into numb mode because you you could go back and you could take a job and it would like quiet all that. Yeah, and um, I actively don't want to quiet all that because it's like to it's like, sounds like what you just said It's like I know that I I need to I need to feel this I need to go through this because I think that the other side will be I'll know more about myself.
0: Yeah, so you're crazy like me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is it is it is crazy. I mean, it's not I'm not crazy like you because you did this, it was way riskier when you did this. My wife has a job, like I, when you did this it was crazy. I mean, I'm not I don't put myself in the same class of people taking a giant risk. My wife works. So, it's not um uh it isn't the same, and I don't give myself anywhere level that, that level of credit for taking a risk. No, but, I,
0: I don't think you should downplay it, though, because I think what you're experiencing is almost like universal. When you transcend against the default path, um, there's tremendous amount of shame you need to go through. Um, and it doesn't actually matter how much money you have. Um, the shame is the same amount. Yeah, because the
1: sh- I, think, I think what the shame is about, well, at least to other people, not to me, because um, the shame to other people, I think, is probably that it's like, hey, you're capable and you're wasting right. your capability, right? Like That's where the shame comes from. But I've, um, you know, the way I – for me, I don't really – I don't even – I don't buy into that because to me, I'm like, yes – the 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 economy has said my highest and best use is this but we've never tried to figure out what my other highest and best uses are and i'm also like irrationally perhaps confident about the fact that there might be a higher and best use for me than the thing that stopped giving me the feels
0: yeah and i i think that's where i am i think I think about role models, right? So, like, a really profound book for me is Tuesdays with Maury. And um, what I'm aiming at really is kind of, like, his vibe at the end of his life. Like, how do you cultivate that kind of, like, energy and community around you? Um, how can you be at the end of your life and have other people say, like, oh, wow, like, man, still living? Um, so, I'm really aiming at aliveness but I think you're downplaying some of the things you do. Like think about like following your journey. Like I think the summer you created for your kids is something they'll probably talk about for the rest of your life, their life.
1: I hope so. I mean, and, I, have no, I, I have no idea. But.
0: Right. And who knows how kids can always turn on you. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Why, why isn't the work of being a parent um, high value work? Um,
1: yeah, no, I guess I never, I, I don't really, in a way, I don't really think about it that way. Um, but again, it's also, I don't have, it's weird. It's, and you know what, when I, when I, I remember I was hanging out, I had this like night out. It's kind of funny. Like there's this group of dads that I hang out with like every month we get together in one of these guys' backyards and, um, half the dads are unemployed (laughs) and, and in in a lot of cases it's like, they're just super wealthy. And in the other half, the dads are in, you know, high finance or tech jobs and they're making a bunch of money, but they look at the dads, even the ones that like myself, whoever it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have like Bay area wealth the way people do around here. And the, uh, they look at those dads and they're envious. And um, so it's this kind of interesting dynamic because the career gets sort of talked a lot about a lot in the circle and everybody's kind of aware of the treadmill, like all the, yeah. and the, there's no, there's no straw men going on in these conversations because it's a bunch of guys in their forties that, that, that like are pretty introspective about some stuff. And what's interesting is I remember this conversation with this one guy who left, his, his gig, he hasn't had a job in like nine years and he's been like bouncing from one entrepreneurial thing to sort of the other, but he doesn't know where his supper is coming from exactly. Now, this guy, when I was telling him that I was thinking I was going to quit soon, the big thing he asked me about that is like, when you think about that, I was kind of telling him I have anxiety around that and all that. And he was like, is the anxiety coming from you? Or is the anxiety coming from having to explain it to other people?
0: Yes, this is huge. And I
1: said, oh, no, I'm 100% certain that this is the right thing for me.
0: I don't question that at all. I'm- so you've gotten to the center of it. This is the question I ask people, which is the most, uh, the hardest question for people is, will your parents still love you if you do this? <laughs> right. Um and it really gets to the heart of it. And if it's not your parents, it's typically like your spouse. Um because people talk to me and they'll say, I'm like, who are you have you told anyone this? They're like, oh no, I can't tell my parents. I can't tell my spouse I'm thinking this. Right? Oh.
1: Yeah, so um that's really yeah. dude, that's really heavy. People are talking to yeah. you in a very, very delicate Place. Holy shit.
0: Right. And this is what makes me so passionate about exploring these things because I feel like I have a responsibility to help these people make sense of it. Um, yeah. and this is something that's, so this is something that's helped me deal with this uncertainty and become even more sure about my path is basically these letters I get from people writing or these conversations, um, And I think the solution to this uncertainty really is leaning into what is your positive version of freedom in like Eric Fromm sense. I don't know if you're are you familiar with that idea? I'm not. So Eric Fromm wrote at the beginning of World War Two, he's trying to wonder why are people so willingly just joining Nazism or socialism around the world or fascists? Um, And his argument was that this freedom thing is rather new in up until the early 1900s, we oriented through the world through like a church and the church told us what to do or our community told us what to do and how to behave. Now people are free and they don't actually know what to do. So like oh, wow. negative, negative freedom in his mind was like the freedom from control. Right. So like people experience this negative freedom of like the freedom from control of oppressive hierarchies and, To the most part, we're still obsessed with freedom from oppression in society and politics. However, the opposite side, he said, of this was like a positive freedom, which is what is our deeper relationship with the world such that we are deeply connected to both ourselves, um, other people, and the world at large? (laughs) Um, and this is not really something that gets anyone fired up. So there's no political vision for this. Um, and there's, it's really hard and disorienting um, to actually do this. So a few of the things he said that work. Um, one was like ritualistic um, group modes. So he used examples of like tribes. Um, they have these ritualistic group experiences which bind uh, the group. I was
1: going to say like a, like an AA meeting. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Um, okay. Uh, two is conformity. He said this is mostly a trap because it's not actually your own vision. Um, it's uh, a vision that you're opting into. Um, he said the third mode uh, was creative union. So finding some way to... Um, create and I think this is why creativity is so important it can be this is probably what you experience of writing writing helps you make sense with the world and connect with like your vision of what the world is and you don't know where that's going to take you um
1: Uh, actually you you were the one who gave me the language to understand my own writing because you were the one who told me that writing to find your people yeah, And it was, by the way, that was one of the, I've actually told that to like three other people since. And the reason is that, um, that phrase was, it, it was, it was so powerful to me because I was like, why do I, I've asked myself before, like, why do I write, why do I write? And I would have these, like these theory, I was like to clarify my thinking, educate other people, it'd be like all these things. And then the second you said that, I was like, you know, when you know something is like so right that everything else was definitely wrong. Yeah. That was the feeling I had when you said that. I was like, holy shit. That's like, that's it. That was, that's, that was, that was the whole thing.
0: Yeah. This clarified for me a couple of years ago um, when somebody just somebody I cared about angrily responded to one of the things I'm writing. And I really had to do some reflection. And I realized, like, I'm not writing for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I wrote this whole thing that was like, I'm not writing for you. I'm not writing for you who succeeded on the default path of life and crushing it. <laughs> I'm pumped that you're killing it, but I'm trying to explore something else. I am writing yeah. for the curious weirdos who think there might be more possible ways to live a life. Right. Um, and, yeah, I've... A lot of people can't see this, but I have a very clear strategy. When I'm older in life, I want to be surrounded by curious, loving people in an engaging way. And I think the best way to do that is start building it now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have curiosity conversations every Wednesday. I've talked to over 250 people from around the world about their relationship to work. And they typically reach out based on stuff I'm writing. So I'm in this broader conversation with the world and it basically creates this virtuous loop, which is essentially my positive vision of freedom. As long as I can keep that loop alive and engaged and energized, like that's it. That's life.
1: <laughs> right. Um I think you're right. I
0: think you're right. <laughs> so- and it's almost too simple to be true and like any profound wisdom, but all the other stuff is just around the edges, like the strategy consulting course, like that helps me make money to keep that alive. <laughs> right. Um, and like other ways of making money, the stories I tell people about what I do and where I'm going, any goals I pick, they're all incidental to this deeper engine.
1: Right. It is a, that, um, Actually, I love I love that you use the word engine. I don't know, it's like literally makes me think of like a, it's it's like a like a deck, one of the deck builder card games. But it's like it's totally it's totally what it is. It is the um, I often think I actually think often think about things in, in terms of like what you're saying, like the engine, it's a it's a um, every if you ever get like whenever, whenever you get a game, like every game is sort of a skin or a theme on it. Like this game, like we're moving around pieces because we're going to drill for oil or something, or we're going to do real estate over here whatever. But like when you go past the skin, it's always like, what is the underlying engine of what's going on here? And it's very interesting because who you are outwardly is um, like visible skins, but the engine that's under underneath it all, the thing that binds it all together is the fact that you have this positive creative vision, which is God, I have to, I feel like I have to think about that for a while because <laughs> it's really, it's really kind of heavy. Like it takes, it feels like it's going to take a lot, like a lot of like, I'm going to burn brain cells trying to think through that one.
0: Yeah. because It, it's,
1: it sounds exact. It sounds right to me. So it ha- I have to like, it
0: could use some remixing. I think it's very specific to my journey and what I'm perfectly wired to be doing. Um, so it probably could use some broadening to be more applicable to other people. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of the most important things in life are really simple. It's just it's very hard to learn them in your body rather than your
1: mind. Yeah, man, that's that's so true. I I, I agree. So true. It's the, it is very, it's like, I, I mean, that's super resonant to me because of the same thing I said before with like trying to just trust how the f- vibe of the way this feels or this person feels and trusting, trusting yeah. that, that that like your feelings are actually doing a great job of capturing um, all the illegible stuff that we can't articulate but your feelings are actually doing a great job of guiding you.
0: Yeah. And Um, I mean, my wife is trying to do the same path. She left her job um, with almost no money to her name and just started on this solo journey. And she's still trying to figure it out. And she's a little more introverted than me. So she doesn't get the energy from connecting with people through her writing, but she still likes a lot of the same stuff. And she hasn't really discovered her like, engine yet
1: um
0: but we're both kind of aiming we're aiming around a life in which work kind of fits what we want to live so we're like boldly going to try and live the life and then working backwards to see what fits right and it's really hard um and people will be like oh you can't do this when you have kids it's like yeah i'm i'm prepared it's gonna level up the degree of difficulty but i was gonna say i still want to play (laughs)
1: I was going to say that's the, what you're, it's so crazy to me because what you're telling me, like what you're telling me seems the methodology of like envisioning a life and working backwards to how do I have the life that matches the energy or the creative union that you're trying to create. That sounds like what you would come up with if you were to actually hurt your brain and give it some thought. that that's like i think thinking is hard like think i always like thinking is like exhausting and it's really hard but that's what this is this is like you you've thought a lot to figure this out and it's painful and that what you said there about um trying to work backwards to me i'm like isn't that literally the definition of living isn't that what living is isn't risk living i mean that is living
0: yeah, well, John Stuart Mill called this experiments in living, and he said it was the most important thing to discovering originality and genius.
1: <laughs> right. That that that's actually what life is. Like, yeah. it's not you know, it, it's well, not a, a life is not this like recipe that you follow. It's really this this like. Well, and. I- I think you what's see the happened when you work, you try to get there the, according to, or you you see how you want to live and then you're trying to make your life work with the way you need it to work for you.
0: Well, I think that's how life was for most of history. But um, what's happened is we have these really good um, kind of like off the shelf um, life modes. You can just like oh, wow. by default path and not have to worry about those questions. <laughs> I'm, all I'm ever saying is that, like, I get a kick out of thinking about those questions, which other people I think are saying are um, probably overpricing. <laughs> and I'm yes. like, I actually want to try different modes and see what emerges. And I find this fun. Other people are, right. like, looking at it and being like, this is crazy.
1: Yeah. Because they look at it and they think like it's, they think it's a distraction.
0: Yeah. This is the whole thing for me. (coughs) I have so much fun. Um,
1: that's is life. That is life.
0: Yeah. Like me and my wife have already probably lived in 15 to 20 different places. That's more, more places than most people will live in their life. Um, but what we're learning is so crazy. Like we're getting down to the details. Like, okay, do we want like a a window with outside sun in our bedroom? And at what angle? Um, okay, do we like uh, a desk out there? Do we like a desk in our bedroom? A desk in the living area? Do we like a separate kitchen? <laughs> All these minor things we get to like tweak and experiment with. Uh, it's pretty cool. And you end up knowing exactly what you need and don't need.
1: The uh... Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I do think the other side of that will end up being, feeling looser about that a little bit just because like, yeah. sometimes sometimes I'm just kind of like, if things are kind of held together, I'm like, great, we're doing great. (laughs) Like,
0: like, yeah. And I think I sense that having more resilience is going to be a lot, very helpful when I have kids. And I yeah. guarantee and, I'm going to want to ratchet down the randomness of my life path when I have kids because I'll want to, to absorb the randomness of a
1: child. Yeah. And you, <laughs> I mean, and you, you, you will. I mean, it's actually, it's a great, the way you think about it is a great, um, it's actually really funny. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this. You, you are going, you're, I feel this way. You're, you are going to learn more from your kids than they're going to learn from you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, they are going to change you in like a, like a very, like, because, um, because you're listening. Yeah. So it's kind of awesome. pretty cool Yeah, it's you're a, listening. So you're going to hear them.
0: It's a good place to, uh, end. Uh, yeah. So if you want to read more, check out uh, Moon Tower Meta. I'll link up to it. Uh, one of my favorite newsletters I read every week or when he publishes it.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I didn't. Re- oh, well, we're, we're, this is going to get published just like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, you're, you're, wow. Okay, cool. Oh,
1: well, I, c- I can edit it.
0: I'll send it to you first if you want.
1: The, uh, I'm kind of okay with the whole experiment just being fun like this. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. This was totally off the cuff. It's cool.
0: Awesome. We'll end it there. All right.